What up, what up, what up? Welcome to episode 11 of When the Hunt Calls. I'm your host, Cliff Cadet. Thank you, everyone, for joining me. I am so, so, so uh, excited about this episode um, for two reasons. Uh, first one being, it's episode 11. I honestly didn't think I'd make it this far with a recording podcast. I had honestly believed that if I didn't have all the necessary, uh, you know, fancy schmancy studio equipment, um, I wouldn't be able to record and put out a decent podcast. But I was wrong. At least I'd like to believe I was. <laughs> uh, second reason I'm excited about this episode is that... Uh, is it because of the topic? Um, turkeys, turkey hunting, turkey calling to be specific. Um, you know, saying in New York, uh, spring turkey season begins May 1st and runs all the way through May 31st. So I've got a little less than a month to get prepared or, you know, get, uh, you know, get ready, learn how to turkey call. Uh, I was lucky enough to get my hands on some uh, diaphragm calls and some and a pot call, so I will be learning how to use those. All right. Um, now, I really, really hope you know for everyone else that is you know in the middle of their spring turkey season that this uh, coronavirus outbreak hasn't affected you know what they're able to do. I hope that everyone is safe friends and family are safe and healthy and that you know the getting out to being able getting out to turkey hunt is basically another form of social distancing especially if you're going out there by yourself you know what i'm saying um so just like the last episode uh i am recording this intro on my little hike to work so again i'll apologize if you hear the cars going by but uh, like I said last episode, um, it is what it is. No fancy studio equipment, no nothing. Just me, my phone, and my thoughts, and the guests. All right? So let's jump right into it because not only again am I excited about this topic, but I am really excited about this guest. Um, this is one of my longest podcasts to date, and it is chock full of information so without further ado guys i want you to listen in on my conversation with four time all right national grand national i'm sorry turkey calling champion scott ellis all right so let's kick it off all right uh, Scott, I want to thank you, man. I really appreciate you taking the time out to, uh, you know, speak with me. Um, I am really, really psyched about getting out there for my first, uh, uh spring turkey hunt. And, um, I came across your social media accounts, specifically Instagram, um, last week when a buddy of mine recommended you saying you were, you know, the best when it came to turkey calling. So now before we even even dive into that, what I really wanted to do was learn about you and your experience. Like, how did you start out turkey hunting? Was it something that you started doing as a kid? You know, you grew up doing or are you anything like me where, you know, I just started doing this uh, less than a year ago? I hear you, brother. I appreciate you having me on, Cliff. And uh, that's a great question. And it's a great story because. I ultimately started hunting at about four or five, and my dad, my uncle, James Clifford Ellis and Raymond Anthony Ellis, <laughs> Cliff and Ray, started me hunting when I was a little fella. And we started on squirrels, and squirrels are a great way to get people introduced to hunting because, um, one, squirrels are really good table fare. That might shock a lot of people, but squirrels are really good eating. Wow. Um, all right. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, yeah, you marinate them, you skin them, you marinate them, you fry them, you grill them. They're, they're fantastic table fare. And the other thing is they're really, they're, they're forgiving, uh, in the woods. Like you can go into a place and the squirrels might've been active as you're walking in, but they see you and they stop and they freeze. If you sit down at the base of a tree with a kid or your uncle, or your aunt or your granddad, and you just be still for 10 or 15, 20 minutes, those squirrels will forget that you walked in there, 
and they'll start moving again. And then they present shot opportunities for a young hunter. And they're great to um, learn patience and learn camouflage, but they're not as critical as a turkey or a deer or a bear or a moose or an elk. They're not nearly as critical. So they're a great way to cut your teeth, if you will, on getting in the woods. So I started hunting, like I said, four, five years old with a 410 single shot. From there, I migrated to wing shooting with, uh, we have morning dove hunts here in Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, dove, are, again, are great table fare. That's what it's all about. In the, in the end game, that's what it's all about for me. Outside of the thrill and the adrenaline rush of hunting another wild animal is we love to take it home, put it in the freezer, and then fry it in hot grease or grill it on the grill and make a meal. Make, it's table fare. You know, it feeds our families and our friends. And that's what a lot of it's about in the end game. Um, so I went to dove hunting, like I said. And then from there, ultimately, I started reading articles about this turkey hunting thing. So I was seven, eight years old. And I, was, I was probably reading about it a year or two or three before I ever actually got my father, Cliff, and my uncle, Ray, involved in it. Because they knew nothing about turkey hunting. That was really? not their thing. No, no. They loved the Second Amendment's rights. They loved to fire guns. They loved to shoot. They loved to get out in the outdoors, ultimately. But they did not. They weren't obsessed with hunting. They just knew it was a good place to give me good morals, to give me good standards and good uh, ideals for for conservation and for harvesting the food that you that you uh, take to the uh, table and to the freezer. And you harvest yourself. You kill these animals and you skin these animals and you, and you and you take them and you make a meal out of them for your family. And that and that was some great things that I was taught. I was taught patience. I was taught concealment. I was taught discipline. I was taught I was taught safety, firearm safety. Um, so responsibility was a huge factor. Um, there's nothing better than getting kids involved in the woods and in in hunting in general. And um, so from there, I started reading these articles, like I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. about this turkey hunting deal and i'm like wow you could actually yelp and cluck and purr and fly, fly down cackle and cut you can make all these turkey vocabulary these turkey vernacular the the vocalizations if you will mm-hmm. and communicate with this bird to call him in the gun range the shotgun range or bow range and then make an ethical shot and take this bird home with you and you have a thanksgiving turkey for the next year <laughs> no, no i i hear you i think that's the biggest biggest thing that attracts me or gets me really amped up about the idea of turkey hunting this spring is how interactive it is. It's like, um, you know, I'm psyched with the idea of, I haven't decided what type of call I'm going to use, but I'm leaning right now towards the idea of using a a diaphragm call. So that way it frees up my, frees up my hands to be able to use my bow. Um, but it's, it's just the idea. Um, like I'll, I'll tell you right now, I went out deer hunting for the first time last year and one of the days that I went out, um, I spent 12 hours in a ground blind. Um, mm-hmm. I saw I saw no sign of deer whatsoever. Wow. But the highlight of my day was when about a dozen a dozen uh, turkeys came within about a hundred yards of me, and I hadn't prepared for that. I had not thought for the life of me that I'd come across any turkey. And um, so I had no type of turkey calls on me whatsoever. So, but I remembered that earlier that year I had practiced a little bit, you know, with without uh, a diaphragm or anything like that in my Absolutely. mouth. Absolutely. Making making turkey calls. Yes, sir. Oh yeah. Natural voice, baby. <laughs> exactly. I I am not anywhere near that, but I was able I was able to get about six of them to stop in their tracks, turn and look in my direction, which is essentially all you need um and and you know they they gobbled back and uh and then they paid me no mind after that and i tried calling again and then one out of that six started making its way towards me i was only able to get him in about maybe 40 yards but it wasn't i didn't have a clear shot um the way the property was it was pretty hilly there was some low-lying you know branches and stuff like that so there was no way i was going to get a clear shot off but it had me i had my heart racing let me put it that way you know saying especially the fact that i was able to get them to get the turkeys to stop listen to me looking in my direction was you know awesome so um i i I totally understand what you're saying um that was what enamored me 
with uh, the whole art of calling and hunting and the legacy that is wild turkey fall or spring. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The fact of it is you're talking to this bird in its own language and fooling the bird in its own language. And you're convincing him during the spring. Remember this, Cliff, if we don't talk about anything else. Mm-hmm. In the spring, gobblers gobble and strut and they spit and drum to attract the ladies. The ladies, all he has to do is show off and gobble. And eight out of ten times, the hens go to him. Now, obviously, for the success rate that you see people killing wild turkeys, mm-hmm. they will come. Gobblers will come. So that's that's something that we talk about. But at the same time, that's something that's not 100% true. Because gobblers, they, when they're in love and you convince them that they have something really that they need, they have a mate that they need to cr- procreate, we'll call it. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they, you're reversing nature, but at in the same time, gobblers will go looking for hens because they're looking for love, especially if they've already bred the harem of hens that they've established. When you have a harem of hens, that could be four, five, six, eight, ten, twelve, twenty 10, 12, 20 hens. And that's his girlfriends, and he gets to breed those girlfriends until they're all bred and they start nesting and laying eggs. And when they're all done and they're not uh, receptive to breeding anymore, they go on the prowl to find more girlfriends. It is what it is. That's how they birth. And the reason why this is nothing against the wild turkey. The reason for that is because the mortality rate of a wild turkey is, is literally 60, 70, 80%. It's so high that that they have to breed every hen in sight and earshot in view because if they don't and they don't they don't fertilize those eggs on that particular hen and they don't have a and that hen doesn't have a clutch of eight to ten eggs and all the hens don't have those clutches of eggs then predators will eat the nest they'll break the eggs open the mm-hmm. hen may or may not re-nest um they may uh not necessarily um the hens may not necessarily take to the insemination, if you will, mm-hmm. and they don't lay eggs and they're not fertilized properly. Um, you have once they hatch and the hens have their little poults, they have owl, you have owls, you have hawks, you have every manner of predator that's out to eat a turkey for a meal. So basically mm-hmm. the mortality rate, like as I mentioned, is so high. If that gobbler doesn't breed every hen in sight, then they're going to not produce sustainable populations so they can continue breeding and living and doing their thing. So that's why a gobbler is the way he is and he's built the way he is in nature from a biological standpoint because if he doesn't breed every hen in sight, then he's not going to have enough offspring to survive to create and continue that population of turkeys. So anywho... All so right. I gave so, you a little bit of biology on wild turkeys. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so which 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 I appreciate. But let me let me ask real quick. All right. So you know I'm from New York City, and in New York State, um, you know, uh, turkey spring turkey hunting hours are from sunrise to noon. Now, am I at a disadvantage for not being able to hunt all day like some other states um allow, or yeah. can I be just success, just as successful? Uh, hunting in the morning morning midday up to lunch is always great hunts um it all depends on the phase of the breeding cycle that you're in ultimately and when i say the breeding cycle um if the gobbler is still in the process of breeding hens it's going to be a lot tougher proposition um because Mm. he's going to fly down with the hens he's going to breed the hens he knows he has hens that could become receptive at any moment and those are the birds that are harder to kill now, you always have to remember that you have subordinate gobblers. So even though that one boss gobbler has 10 hens, there's more than likely two or three gobblers that are running around encompassing his area, if you will, that are <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> and those are the gobblers that are looking for, um, what's the great, what's, what is a politically correct terminology? They're looking for leftovers. That's a pretty fair way of saying it. They're looking uh, for hens right. that have been missed. They're looking for hens that may not have gotten bred. And Got that's it. what those subordinate or satellite gobblers are, are doing. So those gobblers can be fantastic to kill and easy to kill early season. And in that early part of the day, um, once the hens start nesting and the season progresses mm-hmm. and they start putting their nest together, they start laying an egg, and then, God forbid, they start incubating after all 
10 or 12 eggs are laid and they know they're done. They know biologically Mother Nature said you're laying 12 eggs or 10 eggs or 8 or 14. Once they start getting on the ground right after the, they roost together, they leave the gobbler and he becomes even more susceptible to calling. So it, it's a very, very delicate balance to find out where you're at because it can mm -hmm. be different 20 mile radius of from where you're at. 20 miles from where you're at, it might be different. But all you have to do is identify where it is where you're at. And um, absolutely not is it a hindrance to be able to hunt them only to noon. Um, I've killed a lot of birds in the afternoon. I've had a great success in the afternoon because by that time, they're definitely nesting or leaving the gobblers. But I've had tons of success with the subordinate or the satellite gobblers early season and uh, mid-season and also midday and early morning. Um, All right. So it just depends on the bird and where he's at and what, who he's breeding. It, you, and it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint that cliff. You know, it's mm -hmm. hard to figure out exactly where they're at because unless you're in that area of woods religiously for hours and hours and you're watching them, you really don't know what phase of the breeding cycle they're in, and that can be really hard. So all you can do is go out there at daybreak and owl hoot and crow call and locate your bird and set up on him within a hundred yards. Give him some tree calls. Let him know you're there. Let him fly down. Once he flies down, his feet hit the ground. Then you can start yelping to him. You can cut a little lightly to him. You can start talking to him and having that conversation that we talked about, engaging that conversation. And then the game goes. That's how the game goes. Then it unfolds. Um, All right. So you know what? I don't mean I don't mean to cut you off because, dude, you are a humongous wealth of information right now i've got a pen and paper i'm jotting down notes like a school child all right so so here's the deal um scouting because of my family commitment and work scouting is difficult for me um even though the the public land that i'll be hunting will be less than an hour from me i may or may not be able to get out there to hunt right. i mean to get out there to scout i'm sorry so gotcha. now so now in a perfect perfect world again and i'm just trying to get familiar with the terminology of the the different calls right so sure. i'm out i'm out there um before sun up um how do i want to start what are the different calls that i would utilize i guess um once i'm there in a blind waiting for the sun to come up well you don't want to get in a blind before the sun comes up unless you're in a position where you have to be handcuffed that's the only time you want to get Pin, pin down into a particular position is only whenever you're in a place you can't move. Now, if you're hunting public ground, I'm guessing you've got a lot of area to move around on. For example, yes. I have to, I have to, I have to share a little bit of fun with you, a little fun fact. <clears throat> Last Saturday, I harvested my second Osceola in Florida for the Congrats. year. For the year, I tagged out in Florida, and that right. bird had five beards totaling 37 inches. He had an inch and three quarter inch spur and an inch and five-eighths inch spur, and he weighed 21 pounds. It's going to potentially be the top five atypical gobbler in the state of Florida, probably three, three or four. Uh, he nice. Didn't make, he, he, didn't, he didn't set the record, but he was right there with the record. And nice. Osceola's really have multiple beers. Now, that particular hunt, let me get into this. I'm segueing into the fact that this particular hunt, we knew we were in a very small track of property, we knew the turkeys were there because of scouting and prior knowledge, but we knew we could not really move other than in about a, about a 150 yard radius from where we started. We could not move. We had orange groves around us and we were sitting in an oak hammock. And um, so we knew that we could not move very much. So that's the only time that I, I will pinpoint and not be able to use your boots, so to, so to speak. Mm -hmm. to your advantage to be able to move around and get closer and tighter so these birds gobbled on the roost cliff and they were two three four hundred yards from us and we knew we could not move to them all we knew is we had a point where they were kind of centralizing midday mm -hmm. mid-morning in a place where i knew that my calling skills we haven't gotten back to that yet we haven't gone back to why i became a, a, a great caller a better than average caller if you will mm -hmm. we can touch back on that in a minute um, for the public land hunting that you're talking about doing. So we knew we were pinned down. We knew we had to do what we had to do. And I knew that my calling and patience were going to be two very key factors in killing that turkey there. And that is exactly what happened. Great calling and patience. And about 930, I got the, cob the gobbler. I kept changing calls, got him to come off of the hens by changing the voice of the hen. 
okay? Gobblers have certain sounds, certain yelps, certain sounds that they hear, and we don't know what they are. We don't know how to identify them, but they just ultimately, you strike a nerve with a gobbler, and it causes him to geek out, if you will. <laughs> it causes, he just drives him nuts. He hears a certain voice in his head, and that pitch and that tone, that rasp, it drives him nuts, and that's what brings him in ultimately. And I think that's what happened Saturday is uh, I was running one particular style of Yelp most of the morning. <laughs> and we're getting to really advanced tactics here, and I apologize because I know no, you're No, no, no worries. No worries. But, but, but I used um, one particular sound voice of a hen, and then about 9 o'clock I said, I'm going to completely change this thing up. And I went to another style hen Yelp, and when I did that, snap of the finger, he broke, and then – Five ten minutes later, he was in front of the camera, and I actually harvested him with my four ten uh, with Apex Ammunition, which is something you ought to look into. You got to give them a little plug. I look, I'm on board with Apex Ammunition. No, and, go right uh, ahead, brother. Yep, it's a four ten seven eight ounce nine and a half TSS four ten load, and I'm getting probably twenty pellets in the in the skeletal regions, the uh, kill zone, if you will, at forty yards. So. All of that said, pinned down, blah, blah, blah. I, I, what, what I was getting to is what you asked me is what caused you to get started. And what I like to mm-hmm. do to get started, especially when I can move on the turkey, is an owl hooter or a crow call. It's that simple. And All I right. get the eight note. Yep, yep. And I won the Grand National Owl Hooting Competition this year. I'm very proud to, to boast just a little bit about that. <laughs> I've been for a long time. Yep. So I'm a Grand National Owl Hooting Champion, and I won it this year. And I use the owl hooter to my advantage every chance I get. And um, a good owl hooter will give an eight-note hoot. It'll, it'll allow it. It'll laugh. It'll give this different sounds of an owl. And for the new listeners out there, go to YouTube and listen to the different sounds of the owl. And copy the different sounds of the owl. Copy the eight-note hoot and copy the laughing of the owl. So this is, again, I'm getting I'm off on 90 different tangents. Cliff, I <laughs> no worries. So I start no off worries. with an owl hooter. We're going to do an eight-note hoot, okay? Eight Once that hoot. gobbler right. responds on the roost and you hear that bird gobble, that's when the game starts. That's when the mind game starts. That's whenever we begin to try to put a strategy or a tactic and employ that tactic to make success. And what I do from there is you're going to want to get as close as you can get to that gobbler without spooking him off the roost. Now, I don't know how good a woodsman you are or the listeners are that are going to be listening to our podcast, but once you hear him gobble, you're going to get as close as you can without bumping him. So if it's 200 yards, it's as close as you can get without spooking him confidently, then that's as close as you get. If you've got cover and you have ground clutter and you have uh, foliage still, or the foliage is popping up and it's greening up and you have cover and it's dark. Maybe, maybe he gobbles early and it's dark. Get as close as you can to that gobbler within reason without spooking him. Then when you sit on the ground, you find that tree, you find that area that has a potential for him to fly down to or come to very easily. Once he hits the ground, that's the key. Once he hits the ground, you want to pick a place where either A, you scouted and know he's going to, or B, that's it's easy for him to get to. So I have, so I don't mean to cut you off, but I have no, so okay, I should okay. so I essentially should stay mobile then. Oh, absolutely! If you can be mobile, be mobile. Got and it. Got it. Got story it. With my gobbler last <clears throat> weekend, a potential top five Osceola record breaking buck or uh, buck uh, turkey. Sorry, um, <laughs> was the fact that we knew we couldn't be mobile, so we had to uh, adapt, if you will. We had to, we had to rely on my good my great calling and, and my calling ability and patience that was the two key things and a good setup and the setup worked out too and that's something else we can get into about setup and i was getting into that about visibility and path of least resistance to get that gobbler to come to you whether you've scouted and maybe you know his strut zone maybe you've watched that gobbler fly down and you know he goes right to this little uh loading deck we call in the south hello which is where hello 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 are harvested yeah a little clear area it's called. It could be a strut zone for that gobbler. If it's something you've identified that you know where he's going to go, then you set up there. That makes him even easier to call to you once you're in a position where you know that gobbler is going somewhere he wants to go anyways. And that makes it even easier to call. So Got all it. that said, you owl hoot, you set up tight. From there, I'm going to call real soft and give what's called tree yelps or tree calls. 
All I'm doing there is identifying the gobbler and letting him know that I'm there. Okay. Got it. Once the tree calls, the little, I mean, I'm just natural voice calling people just so you guys know. Wow. It's very soft, muted yelps. Okay. And all that does is tell him that there's a hen there. Okay. And once it gets a little bit harder daylight, I'm going to give a fly down cackle. And a fly down cackle is what is signifying when a hen comes off the limb and flies to the ground. And it's a very, it's a crescendo call. It's a very popping, sharp call. And uh, I try to, I try to demonstrate it with natural voice. It's harder for me to do that, but it's a, uh, she starts bubble clucking. Again, natural voice, not my uh, greatest right. call, but it's, you get the sound and the rhythm. Yes. And she flies down out of the tree, and then she lands. And then that's signifying to that gobbler that that hen flew down. After that, Cliff, let the let the game begin. Don't say another word. Don't say another sound. Let him fly down. Once he flies down, then engage him with some basic yelps. And only get more advanced in your calling if it needs more advanced calling to get him to start closing the distance. If he hits the ground and he starts closing, and all you're doing is, And you're doing those yelps and those little clucks, and he's coming, he's coming. That's all you have to do. Then, if we get advanced, we'll talk about my app here in just a second because my app can is the telltale for all of what we're talking about. It explains everything we're talking about in my app, so nice. we're not confusing right. people, and we're not listening. You know, because a lot of the guys I'm I'm hoping are new turkey hunters that are learning something from me, maybe, and that's uh, learning to be a turkey hunter and what to take to the woods with them, and so. The, bar, the gobbler flies down, his feet hit the ground. <clears throat> From there, we're basically going to call as much as needed to keep him coming to your position. Remember, we talked about this earlier in the podcast. Ultimately, gobblers gobble and they spit and drum to and strut to attract hens to try to get hens to come to them. What we're doing is trying to not, I mean, we say reverse nature, but ultimately you're just trying to get him to come to you instead of you coming to him. And very often a gobbler gets very stubborn and he doesn't want to come to you. And that's when the next level of the game, that's when you peel the onion back one more layer and you start mm -hmm. digging deeper in that bag of tricks. And we could go on for, I could go on for days about this stuff because it's, it gets so advanced on the different tactics, but I'm going to always go back because I know we're limited on time. We've heck, we've already been on here for about an hour already, about 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I can get long winded. But, it's but all the right, app brother. will teach you these little things that I'm talking about from flying down to or from tree calls to flying down to then engaging him once he flies down himself to getting him to come to you and keep his forward movement, his forward progression coming to you and what calls to use. And I mean, we could go on and on for days. Well, but I you think know what? I let, let everybody apologize. No, no, no worries. Let, I don't mean to cut you off, but let, let everybody know what exactly is the name of the app. For crying out loud, I appreciate it. Turkey Tech with Scott Ellis. Turkey right. Tech. T-E-C-H. Tech with Scott Ellis. It's on the Google Play and it's on the App Store. It's four ninety nine. It's the price of a cappuccino. <laughs> I mean, it really is. And it, and it will t it's, I've been hunting turkeys cliff for 35 years. And I've killed uh, six Grand Slams, two Royal Slams, um, and probably harvested over... I mean, I'm got to be rap rapidly approaching $200. And a Grand Slam, for the listeners that don't know, a Grand Slam is all four subspecies in encompassing the Osceola, the Eastern, the Rio, and the Miriam. Okay, the Rio Grand and the Miriam. And the nice. Royal Slam encompasses the Goulds, the Osceola, the Eastern, the Rio Grande, and the Miriam. And um, so if the numbers were to tell the story, I've killed... Tons more Easterns and Osceolas than Rios and Miriams, but I've called in probably a dozen of each, enough to be able to talk sensibly about the other subspecies, right? Without a doubt, and that we're not going to get into that. You guys got Easterns in New York. That's who we're going to be. Your that's your fan base. That's who you're going to touch. So we'll talk about Easterns. But got it. So um, just just to recap, essentially everything that you told me in terms of. Uh, what calls to use and when the app will be able to tell me the same thing because I I downloaded the app but I have yet to use it so I'll be able to get that same type of information Everything you just shared with me now. 
What nice. I'm using on the app is this. I'm giving video instruction on mouth calls and pot style calls. And a pot call is the one that's got the little disc that's set into a pot and it has a striker like kind of like a pencil with mm -hmm. a heavier batter end on it and that creates all the turkey sounds. The mouth call creates all the turkey sounds. And from there we're talking about clucking and purring, fly down cackles, excited yelps, yelps, Jake yelps, gobbler yelps, kiki run, um, cutting, fly down cackle, literally all of, uh, I mean, it's like a dozen different calls that you're going to want to use in the woods. From there, it also has a locator segment, which is on owl hooting and on crow calls, which we talked about earlier, how you find them without talking to them with a hen call. You, oh, you okay. never want to call to a turkey until you're ready to get him to come in. So you mm -hmm. use your locator calls to identify him and, get, and elicit a gobble from him. You follow me? Yeah. Then once you once you find out where he's at, you move in, you set up, you get close. The getting close off the roost is the same scenario if it's midday or in the afternoon or lunchtime. Uh, you just you just when he gobbles, you want to quit calling to him and move as close as you can to him because the closer you get to him and the less distance you have for him to travel to get to you, the more successful you'll be. So remember that little tip right there. You're always wanting to get sir. close, but. But you have to be very cognizant of the, the volume of the gobble and how close you're getting to him. You don't want to spook him. You spook him the, day and the game's over. But you want, to get, you want to try to close the distance as best you can. And there's not a lot to tell you about how to gauge the volume of a gobble. Um, it's just going to be something you're probably going to have to do with somebody that knows the volume of the gobble and that can turkey hunt. And maybe you mm -hmm. go with that guy and he can kind of teach you. Or you run the school of hard knocks. But because gobble, gobblers can tend to gobble some gobble louder than others, and I think they have the ability to control the volume of their gobble. So it can be very deceiving. It can also be deceiving with the foliage on the on the uh, forest or the woods that you're hunting. That can also hinder the volume, and you can be confused on how close you think he is because he sounds really close or really far, all based oh, on so, density yep, on so the, the woods. So the acoustics will basically play Change a huge based part. Based on then. the growth in the, in the later the spring, the less loud they'll be. So that's a good rule of thumb. Later Got in the spring, it. as the leaves pop, he'll sound very faint, but he might be a lot closer than you think he is. So that's a good rule of thumb. But the Got app, it. going back to the app, Turkey Tech Clip, it talks about all these calls. It talks. It has um, audio of the wild turkey making these sounds. It has audio of me reproducing these sounds on a pot call and a mouth call. And the comparison is not to toot my horn. The comparison is for the average guy to see what that call is capable of doing with a little practice or a lot of practice. But the call has the potential to sound that close to a turkey as what I'm emulating in my audio files. Then you have the audio files of wild birds. Then you have the written printed tips on when the call should be used, when turkeys use it, when hunters should use it, what it is. And that's another way of understanding it. And on top of that, let me add two more things. It has a recorder built in that accesses your voice recorder on your phone. You can record yourself calling and then loop it to me or to Wild Turkeys and get a good comparison of where you're at with rhythm and with tone. Nice. And last so, but not least, so, last but not least one of the best parts of the tip or the, the app is a tip that's called what I call situational tips. And these are four or five hunts that I've edited down to the, the nitty gritty, the meat and potatoes of the hunt. And that hunt encompasses me introducing it and talking about what happens in the hunt and why it's successful. And I want you guys as the listeners to key on what I'm doing based on the introductory clip. The clip is going to tell me you listen to how loud and aggressive I call because that gobbler's a very far distance. He's five, four, five hundred yards. When they're that far away, you can get super loud, super aggressive because you're trying to get their attention and make them come to you. And each of these four hunts, keys on one specific tip that the hunter and the new hunter can key on as to why it became successful for me. So sorry for the long plug, but it's just no, a, no. If you, I, if I, you segue into all this we're talking about, we're trying to cram into an hour and then, no, and then take it to Turkey Tech, you're going to see all listen, the things I'm talking about. Listen, at the end of the day, I appreciate this and I'm, I'm honestly really, really excited about using that recording <laughs> that recording aspect of uh, the app because it's an opportunity for somebody to be able to gauge exactly where they're at in their skill level. It does. It's a, it's a great 
I never even thought about comparing it that way. But it gets you close enough to know that you're in the ballpark or where you need to be when you go to the Turkey Woods. And I never even thought about that when I've – I mean, I talk about the app. I've done probably a dozen podcasts this spring to different people and different users and different audiences. And one thing I never thought about that you just brought up is not that – I'd rather you compare yourself to turkeys and me um, because they're the true testament of what we're trying to copy. Copy that. I I totally understand. Yeah. I bring that next level of human uh, counterfeit, if you will. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I I bring that next level of the ability to copy and mimic mimicry, if you will, to the wild turkey. But ultimately, it still gives you a good gauge on where you need to be. If you're in that ballpark, like you said, you know you're pretty close to being able to go out and call it a turkey. And that's a great measuring stick, if you will. Got it. All right. So, you know what? I want to take a huge leap back, all right, towards um, when you were describing basically what caught your interest in terms of turkey hunting. Now, um, I want to know how'd you go from, you know, getting interested in turkey hunting, you know, how'd you go from getting interested in turkey hunting to then becoming, you know, a huge turkey calling competitor and then champion? What exactly made you want to step your game up? Well, I realized real quickly that hunting public land like I did in Central Florida and hunting Osceola's back in the late 80s, I realized not only did it take good woodsmanship, but the more you sounded like a turkey, the more turkeys you killed. And so ultimately, I started stepping my game up, and I started listening and recording, finding any piece of audio of a wild turkey I could find to copy them and listening to them in the summer, the spring, the fall. When I was deer hunting, I was listening for turkeys. I was in love with the wild turkey. And ultimately... Um, I was like 11, 12 years old when all that went down. And as I got better and better on a mouth call, on a box call, on a pot call, um, on a tube call, uh, 1992 rolls in and I'm 17 Mm -hmm. years old. I've been running turkey calls now for about six, seven years and I gotten really good. And I'm not lying. I was a cocky little kid (laughs) and I, I thought I was something else and I was 17 years old and Um, I did this because I knew that the more I sounded like a turkey, the more turkeys I killed when I had competition and I had lots of other people out running around trying to call like turkeys. Um, I mentioned earlier, did not mention earlier that I'm musical. I play guitar and I sing. So I have a little bit of, I have the ability to hear pitch and tone and rhythm. And that's, you're you're a leg up on your, your fellow hunters if you can hear that. And mm-hmm. you can pick up on those different um, musical aspects of turkey calling. And um, so at 17 years old, I was a senior in high school. I entered the Florida State Senior Division. I should have been in the junior division. The gentleman mm-hmm. there at the table registering all the callers, See, I walked up to him with my $20 in 1992, and I said, I've only got this 20 bucks. Can I enter the senior division instead of the junior division? Because I think I can hang with the big boys. <laughs> Wow. And, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was young and I was cocky. I'm not lying. But I was pretty dang good for my age. Well, um, I didn't win, but I placed second in the Florida State Senior Division. And that is where it started to evolve into where I'm at today, 25 years later. Now, during that time frame, um, proud to say I served the United States Army in my country for six years. And I joined your the service. Army. You're very welcome. I was in college. I dropped college, joined the Army in 1992, the same year, the, the following winter. Joined the Army, went away for basic, and I served six years and got out in 1998. And in that time frame, um, I called in some competitions, but didn't realize that the art of competition calling was much different, even though you, you capitalize on some of the same attributes, meaning realism and tone, realism and rhythm the ability to co- complete that call and give that call on demand. You, there's a lot of things that you do on the stage that you can equate to success in the field, but mm-hmm. you have to identify what they are. And as I was learning the game of competition calling, I was still killing the crap out of turkeys, I promise you. But I had not figured out the game of competition calling. And then um, I moved home after the Army. I stayed in South Carolina in Fort Jackson until 1999, and then I moved home in 99, and I've been home now. 
Well, I guess it'll be 21 years. I'll be 21 years. I've been back in Florida and, um, uh, I, I uh, love hunting monster all the turkeys and, and after, oh my gosh, 80 titles across the nation, three grand national, uh, titles in turkey calling, one U.S. Open owl, owl hooting championship, one grand national, um, owl hooting championship, top five in the friction at grand nationals, um, four, five top fives in the open division. I'm 11 time Florida state calling champion. I'm not trying to brag, but I, I, I finally figured out how to win. <laughs> I, I, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, brother. yeah, I yeah. I'm you. sorry to sound like a braggart. I'm not. No, I, please I don't. It's, 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 I'm, it, it, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a huge fan. You know what I'm saying? The I'm, more and more I learn about you, I'm, I'm becoming a huge fan. And, you know, so everything you're sharing is just giving me more and more stuff to go ahead, go ahead and, and look into and research. You know what I'm saying? I appreciate that, brother. Nah, yeah, no, no worries. Uh, I figured out how to win and I figured out how to take that calling ability to the woods at even a higher level than I did when I was a kid and played second in the Florida State in 1992. So, and, and one of the things I learned from competition calling that I haven't mentioned yet, I got to touch on this, is that you master the call. It's like, it's like Eddie Van Halen playing the lead riff to jump or, or mm. running with the devil if you're a Van Halen fan from the old days. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. You, know, you can pick that guitar up and play that note for note. I can put a turkey call in and, and play a fly-down cackle if we're calling it playing it. I can give a fly-down cackle. I can give a cutting sequence. Every call that a turkey does, I can do it better, faster, not necessarily with the better tone because turkeys have a tone we cannot recreate with latex or with glass or crystal or wood. But I'm really good with the rhythms and I'm really good with the, with the, uh, the speed of cadence. And um, I learned how to do that on demand. And that's what I'm trying – my punchline I'm trying to get to is once I get to that level, you learn how to do it on demand. And you learn how to be able to produce it under pressure. Because I promise you, calling the judges behind a curtain is 10 times worse than sitting in the woods and just yelping up a turkey. So you Got learn it. to command the call, control the call, and create the sounds you want to create on demand. You don't have to make it happen. You don't have to think about it. You just go, I need to give a fly down right now. Get, let's do it. You know, I start bubble clucking and I fly down. Or right now, that gobbler's hung up at 60 yards. I need to quit getting so aggressive and start purring and clucking to that gobbler to calm him down and try to convince him that I'm really him. And that's what it, 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 it allows you to do and, and um, master is, is on-demand calling. And that's something you cannot forfeit to anything you do because a lot of people struggle, a lot of turkey hunters struggle with calling aspects because they cannot do it on demand. They have to think about it. They screw it up. They don't create the call they want under the pressure. And that's something that if every turkey hunter took a little bit of time, I'm not saying every, everybody should go compete. I'm saying everybody should learn to be proficient on more than one type of turkey calling device. If they do that, they will up their game. They will kill more turkeys, period. Nice. I appreciate that tip. So, all right. So here's the deal. Um, this is actually turning into my most, not only my longest podcast episode to date, but my most informative. So I want to say thank you, my thank you for that. So Absolutely. I want to, I want to round this out um, with you sharing um, two pieces of information. All right, the okay. first being um, prior to us, you know, hitting record on this podcast, you touched on a new goal. I believe you are attempting to achieve. Um, oh, yeah. In terms of hunting, in terms of hunting turkeys throughout the United States, uh, share uh, with me again and with my listeners for the first time exactly what the t details are of that goal. Absolutely, that was called a U.S. slam, and wow. unfortunately, the coronavirus has hindered the success of my U.S. slam. <laughs> oh, and let me find that cliff. A U.S. Right. slam is is harvesting a turkey in every state that has a huntable, sustainable turkey population. And that's basically every state in, in the uh, free world, in the continental U.S., and Alaska, and Hawaii, other than Alaska. So there's turkeys in every state but Alaska is what I'm trying to say. Got it. And I've harvested birds in, I think, 23 states right now. And wow. so this year... Every year, I try to click off a few states. As I'm, I'm 45 years old, so I'm not old yet. I don't think, 
but I'm feeling the bones and the joints. <laughs> uh, and, I hear you. I hear you. A year. Yeah, yeah. So I'm feeling the slowdown factor, if you will, of as I'm getting older, as far as jumping on planes and chasing these birds all over the U.S. And I, I don't get to drive anywhere other than maybe Georgia, South Carolina, where I'm at in Florida, because yeah, I would burn up my vacation just traveling to these remote places. So this year alone, I literally just canceled Michigan, Washington State. That was the first and third weekend of May. And I'm still holding on to maybe going to Maine the last weekend of May. And the uh, like you asked me before, the U.S. Slam is a bird in the 49 of the 50 sustainable turkey population states. And that's everything but Alaska. Hawaii wow. includes. There's Rio Grande's in Hawaii, and that's my wife's on board for that one. I can promise you, she's ready to go to Hawaii. She's like, Whenever you go to re- ready to go to Hawaii, let me know. I'll pack my bag. <laughs> well, so, listen, um, that's it, what, it, you know, to answer your it, question, if, that's what I'm working on, and uh, unfortunately, it got hindered this year. But I do get to drive to Georgia and South Carolina, and I have some great friends I've been turkey hunting with for twenty some years, and and it's always turkey hunting is a great camaraderie. Um, um, I, I don't. Uh, what's the word? Not sport. It's not a sport. Hunting is not a sport. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't like using that terminology. It's a great um, legacy, if you will, of friendship and family. And um, I've got friends that I've had for twenty plus years that I hunt with every year because we found that uh, kindredship, that that that's brotherly love, if you will, that you have, and it's all bonded by the wild turkey and. Uh, so I'll hunt those two states in Florida, and I've already tagged out in my home state. Incidentally, nice. i got to share something with you, Cliff. The bird I Go harvested ahead. last Saturday is potentially going to be the, the top three gobbler in the Florida State atypical record books in Osceola. Wow. Five beards, had inch and three-quarter spurs, and weighed 21 pounds. And it's very rare Damn. for Osceola's to have multiple beards like that. So I potentially have – it's not the state record. Uh, or the not the, the Osceola record, but it's going to be probably top five Osceola's ever taken, and that's wow. really cool. Yeah, congrats, yeah. brother. I never congrats. go hunt. Looking, you don't hunt for turkeys like you do for giant whitetails because you really, unless you have the ability to study them, you don't know how long their spurs are, how long, how many beards they have, how heavy they are. You just don't know that. So to to have that surprise Saturday morning, and incidentally, I killed him with a four ten. And mm-hmm. Apex Ammunition, the TSS loads that I'm shooting, the revolutionary TSS loads, and um, my pattern with my 410 is equivalent to my pattern with my 12 gauge 15 years ago. The, because wow. of the technology and the addition of TSS to our um, to our uh, our arsenal, if you will, our arsenal of turkey uh, tools, and it's uh, amazing. It's an amazing metal that adds density. It's t- almost twice as dense as lead. So you can take smaller pellets and have the same kinetic energy, knockdown energy, if you will, that the lead pellets do in fours and fives. And you can shoot eights and nines and sevens and get almost as much energy as those bigger pellets, but you have twice the payload. It's amazing stuff. Check it out. Oh, wow. We'll definitely. I definitely. Stuff. I'll tell you more I about it. And I, I got to talk will about. Look it up. Yeah, I got to talk about Woodhaven Custom Calls. If you want a realistic call that takes you to the next level. Look up Woodhaven custom calls um, with Mafia. I, I, it's funny. It's funny. I don't mean to cut you off. I was gonna Go ask you what what calls that you use because I would like to probably purchase um, the same calls that you use uh, in order, and then you know tie that into using the app. And, and it's ironic. There's links on the app to the calls I'm using on the app. Perfect. And all Perfect. Woodhaven, Woodhaven custom calls. All um, right. Best in the business. Been with the company eleven years. I'm a guy that's, um, I've worked my butt off in this industry to get where I've gotten. And a lot of that is loyalty and sticking to products that you believe in, that you use personally in the field. It's not about getting on board with a company just to get a title and get free crap. It's not, that's not what the industry is about if you're trying to do something. It's about being loyal to the, the products that you believe in, that you use in the field. If you stick to those products and you hammer, it may take a long time, but you'll you will you will gain ground by promoting those products and sharing the love and spreading the word on those products you believe in. I'm on board with Thermacell. I'm on board with True Glow. I'm on board with Mossy Oak. 
Um, I have Turkey Tech, and I actually use Black Eagle Arrows for my deer hunts. And I just have to give a shout out to those people because no, um, I, these are relationships that I've built because I use their stuff and I believe in it. And it's part no, of. And then, listen, of I will. I will, I will always give my guests the opportunity to shout out, you know, the brands they use, the brands, you know, that they're even successful with, you know what I'm saying? You, you're able to do what you do. Um, you know, a lot of times you're, you're only as good as the equipment that you're using, you know what I'm saying? So. Exactly. And, and don't, if you ever want to pursue this industry and I get asked this probably daily, be loyal to the brands that you're using and being successful with. Don't go to a company because it's the hot thing. Don't go to a company because you want a title under your shirt. Don't do that. That's not how you become successful in this industry. Show loyalty. Got it. And, and loyalty to some people is six months, and that's not what cuts it. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I've been with Woodhaven 11 years. I've been with Mossy Oak for about six years. I've been with True Glow for 17 years. I've been with with Thermacell for 17, 18 years. And these are products that I used back right when I got out of the Army, basically, and started pro-staffing and starting the industry, starting in the industry. And I'm mm -hmm. still with them, and I still believe in them, and I still promote them, and I'm proud of being part of them. If, if the product started failing me, then I would leave the company. But they haven't, and that's what I use. And you'll see me using it on my show, Hunt Quest. Which is on uh, the Mossy Oak Go app. Yep. Tell, tell, me, tell me, tell me more about the show because um, I that was going to be the last thing I wanted to round out this podcast with. Is um, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, tell me a little bit more about it. Absolutely, Hunt Quest. Um, I work a full time job. I love giving this disclaimer to people because I get messages every day that go, "I'd love to do what you do full time for a living and hunt turkeys every day." No, no, no. <laughs> I work for international paper. I don't mind saying that on the air and recording that. Um, I get three weeks of vacation a year, and obviously I'm off on weekends, most weekends. And that is how um, I do what I do in the industry and with my show Hunt Quest. Um, some people, some of these guys have managed to find a way. They're single. They have no kids. They're, they're a lot younger than me that are becoming successful in the uh, digital media world, YouTube, Masio Go, Carbon TV, the different outlets, uh, My Outdoors TV. Um, these guys, don't they don't have a family, and they a lot of them don't work for a living. Some of them do. I'm not, I'm not dissing anybody <laughs> that work, but I myself work. And so everything I do in film for HuntQuest is based on a day or two of vacation with a long weekend. It's a long weekend. It's, it's a uh, fly out it. on Wednesday, hunt Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, fly home, uh, do laundry, dump cards, edit if possible, and then jump back on a plane on Wednesday. And that's what I do. Now, the coronavirus is, like we talked about earlier, has put a huge hindrance on this turkey season for me. My May trips are pretty much canceled. I might get to go to Maine the very end of May if this coronavirus thing has calmed down. But uh, I lost Michigan and lost Washington State because of the coronavirus. But all that said... Um, I'm a working man. I work for a living. I use my vacation, and that's how we film and do hunt quests. And I film friends, myself, my son, my nephews. Um, it's not all about me. It's about uh, the quest. The quest is what it's about ultimately, even if you don't harvest an animal and you don't take the animal home. The fun part about it is whether you win, lose, or draw, you're out in the woods and you're pursuing wild game. And you're putting your skill test your set of skills to the test against the animal's set of skills. And very Got often it. those animals win. As you well know, the animals will very often win. Their instincts, their natural instincts, their eyesight, their hearing, their smell often prevails. But yep. what I do on HuntQuest, it's on Mossio Go. It's an app that's free on the Google App Store and on the, on the I'm sorry, the Google Play Store and the App Store. Uh, it's a free app. You download it and it's an absolute library of everything you ever want to see about hunting from ducks to dove. To, to deer, to turkey, to elk, it's all there. Hundreds of shows. And to boot, Hunt Quest is on YouTube. And that's oh, where wow. I okay. also have a home base is YouTube. So I'm doing the digital media thing. And I put a lot of heart and soul and a lot of sweat, blood, sweat, and tears into the show. And trying to bring the audience real, real hunting as it happens. And um, it's on public land. It's on private land. 
I hunt with some outfitters. I do it all. Some of the guys that have had a lot of success are hunting strictly on public land. And I have the, I have the, I've been blessed to be able to get invited to hunt some decent properties that aren't public land. And I get to hunt public land that is decent properties. I'm hunting South Carolina public land, some Georgia public land this year. I was going to hunt uh, Michigan and Washington and Maine public land. Um, it just depends on where I'm at, what invite I get. But um, I'm an opportunist. I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, I hear you. If I know I the property solid and I get a chance to go out and hunt someplace that's not pressured. Well, my gosh, who wouldn't go do that? Mm -hmm. you know, and that doesn't necessarily equate to success every time just because you're hunting better ground or unpressured ground. They can, they can still kick your tail, deer, you know, white tail deer, turkeys, whatever you're hunting, you know, elk. But, um, but I just, I go where I go and I, and it's a, it's a blend of all types of ground and I'm still very proud of what I'm doing and the product that I'm putting out there for the viewers to watch. So check it out. If you get a chance, hunt quest. No, definitely will do. So listen, I really want to thank you, Scott. Um, Tonight was, uh, this episode was a huge, huge amount of information. I took as many notes as I can, but the great <laughs> thing, the, the great thing about podcasting is it's all been recorded so I can always play it back and, uh, and go ahead and, you know, jot down some notes at my leisure. So again, man, I really, really want to thank you for taking the time out to speak with me. Um, you Absolutely. are an, you are an encyclopedia of Turkey hunting and turkey calling turkey calling information um i will be posting links in the show notes of this podcast to the um turkey calling app uh i will be sharing just so my listeners know i will be sharing um the turkey calling app uh the information for woodhaven custom brand, calls yeah, all the brands that you use and links to the YouTube channel and the Mossy Oak app. So everyone that listens in can basically find you, you know, saying the same I way that I did. That. Nah, no worries. They'll bro. learn more. Yeah, hopefully they'll learn a lot more from just watching the hunts unfold as they as they do in the woods. Yep. I really appreciate you having me on board and I'm glad I was able to uh give you some knowledge and maybe I want to hear a success story. I want to see some pictures. Yeah, you're, you're, from, from your mouth to God's ears, brother. I appreciate that, brother. Thank you very much. All right. You have a blessed, a blessed, blessed night, man. You too. All righty, y'all. I appreciate you guys rocking out with me on my hike to work. Um, I really hope that you guys learned as much as I did. Um, and if you weren't able to, uh, you know, jot down some notes um, like I was able to, the great thing about a podcast is you can rewind and come again. You know what I'm saying? Just go right back, uh, listen to the parts you need to. Um, that's exactly what I did. Um, I just want to, uh, again, thank Scott for taking the time out to speak with me. That brother is a wealth I tell you a wealth of information, uh, but of course he has to be, you know, to be the four-time grand national turkey calling champion, um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so again, thank you, Mr. Scott Ellis for, for you know, passing on some of your knowledge to me. Um, I do hope to be successful this spring turkey season and uh, I will be sharing my picks with you, brother. So. Um, as promised in the show notes, if you guys are interested in uh, in where to to find Scott Ellis, or if you're interested in any of the brands that Scott um, is affiliated with, uh, just check out the show notes. I posted Instagram links to find Scott, to find the brands he works with. I posted uh, links to his YouTube channel for Hunt Quest. I posted the link to the Turkey Tech turkey tech uh calling app um that scott has uh built um as well, well the link to the apple one but it is also available on google play store um all that good stuff so don't forget to check out the show notes all right and with that being said if you guys really enjoyed this episode please 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 drop me a five star rating and a review i would greatly appreciate it and 
You can even go farther and just share this episode, share this podcast channel, period, with your friends. All right. Hope you guys have a blessed, blessed day.